The Tom Woods Show, episode 1640. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Folks, if you're like me, one of the most demoralizing things is when someone utters the truth and then lamely apologizes. Well, not these folks. I've got a free ebook of stories from heroic professors who told the PC mob to go pound sand. Stories from Jordan Peterson, Michael Rechtenwald, and others. Check it out at againstthemob.com. Hey everybody, Tom Woods here. Michael Malice is back with us because North Korea is in the news. We've been hearing things about the health and whereabouts of Kim Jong-un, and I thought, who better to fill us in on what the heck is happening than Michael Malice, who, of course, is the author of Dear Reader, the unauthorized autobiography of Kim Jong-il. Even more recently, Michael is the author of The New Right, A Journey to the Fringe of American Politics. Michael is also a celebrity ghostwriter and a darn good one, a New York Times bestselling one, as well as a television personality and the host of Your Welcome on the Gas Digital Network. Michael, welcome back. Thank you, Tom. Thanks for that introduction. <laughs> we're, we're, we're talking about North Korea today, which we haven't done for a while. But before we get into the details of the uh, succession, should that arise in the near future, I want to ask you something I've been thinking about. Obviously, you went to North Korea, you wrote the book Dear Reader, and since that time, You've done a lot of high-profile media interviews, um, particularly on television, about North Korea. Obviously, you're very critical of the regime, as most people are. So not that you have any inclination to do so, but if you were to try to go back to North Korea, do you think you could get in? Yes. Have you been tempted? Uh, yes. Well, I can't go now because Americans are banned. Um, I have been tempted. Then I saw my friend... Um, went after I did, and I looked at his photos, and then I'm like, oh, no, 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 I'm not doing this again. Because it reminded you of what you saw, or had it changed? Because everyone I met is still there, so it, it really screws your head to realize that literally every... You know, like how, if you think for a second, you look at like a, a movie from like 1920 or a, a photograph, and you realize, oh, everyone on Earth who is alive then is dead, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, but this is like every single person I saw is still there. Every single one. So it's, you know, and I think about what you've been doing since, what I've been doing since, what the listeners have been doing since. They're in their prison uh, doing their best. So it, it doesn't number on you. Yeah. And knowing if I went back, you know, this isn't exactly New York City uh, during the, the, you know, holiday seasons. There's very few places they're going to take you. So I'm going to go back to that store and that same girl is probably going to be at that store where she was, you know, eight years ago or eight, or or her replacement who is in a, in one very specific sense interchangeable. So it, it's 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 not good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hear you. I hear you. All right. Let's talk about Kim Jong-un. When I, I was just saying to you before we started recording that when I wrote to you and said, let's talk about North Korea, I had just seen a fleeting headline that Kim Jong-un had died and I, I was driving around and I wasn't able to verify that. And it turns out that this is not confirmed, but this is still very much in the news because people are speculating about what then happens if if he were to die. And you actually had a, a pretty good thread and a live stream, a thread on Twitter and a live stream on YouTube on this exact subject. So I want you to flesh it out for us here. So I've heard a number of possibilities for who would replace him, but is there a process? Is there a no, I mean, obviously people are speculating on it, 
then how could there be a cast in stone process for how it would occur? Yeah. First of all, just as a side note, if if you are familiar with someone who is an authority on one very specific thing, right? If there's a, I don't mean you, Tom, I mean, you know, person, um, if there is an issue that comes up, take two seconds to look at their Twitter or whatever medium that they use most frequently before you feel the need to ask them a question because they're not there to be your personal tutor. Um, so it's very frustrating when, you know, you tweet about this or you're making live streams and people are like, oh, what do you think about this? It's like, you could have just gone to my page. I, I literally 20 minutes ago tweeted this. And also it's just not very productive. Um, instead of uh, firing off a question that may or not be, get answered, if you just take some um, a little proactivity and you can, you know, usually find things out for yourself. Now, uh, and I say this because it's it, one of the reasons I got into this space is because there's so little information about North Korea. And because of how our media landscape is functioning, just because there's a lack of information doesn't mean there's going to be a lack of chatter. So they have to present this issue as if they have as much information as if they do about, you know, what would happen if a senator resigned. It's not the case. And then you have people who don't know what they're talking about and can't know what they're talking about because they're getting called in the last minute because it's a circle jerk. And then everyone at home is repeating and no one knows talking about. So, you know, it's kind of like Nazis, like uh, the supply uh, for North Korea exports far exceeds uh, the the demand far exceeds the supply in terms of the media. So let me address this. First of all, um, and I I kind of borrowed this line from you. Your Facebook friends are wrong about North Korean secession. Their need to post on Facebook that like, oh, I think it's going to be Kim Jong Un's sister. As if they've gone through this, you know, deductive process and they have the charts and the graphs and they <laughs> right. they crossed out this one, they crossed out that one. And I, I've, a couple of times I just, I just snapped and I said, can you name one other person in the North Korean leadership? Or I would say, can you name even one person in the North Korean leadership other than Kim Jong-un's sister? <laughs> and they can't. And then it's like, well, this is the one person I've heard of. So it, it was, it's akin to someone from another country being like, I, I I think if something happens to Trump, if he gets impeached, it's going to be Melania. It's like, what are you basing this on? What, like literally, other than you know who this other person is. And part of the reason it is so frustrating on that end is because the people who really study North Korea understand perfectly well that these incessant attempts to make it analogous to other countries or specifically to the states is so false that it's just, it's just, it's almost it's shocking to watch it play out in real life. Um, North Korea is, when you have a dictatorship, the, one of the things that we talk about in the States and the Western canon, the common law, is a government of laws, but not men, right? This is the promise of the common law. That is in distinction to a government of men and not laws, wherein the rulers or the leaders can decree at the drop of a hat, what the laws are, and you, the oppressed populace, have to smile and nod and take it. North Korea is not a government of laws. It is very much a government of men, and those men are the three leaders who have led North Korea, being uh, the great leader Kim Il-sung, the founder, uh, the dear leader Kim Jong-il, the, the, uh, the father, and father of the current Marshal um, Kim Jong-un. Now, as I describe in Dear Leader, getting to the place where we are right now in North Korea was a very 
methodical process by this family. This did not happen overnight. Uh, Rand has that quote about errors of this magnitude are never made innocently. This was not coincidental that they've outlasted all these other uh, um, second world countries and and that they've gone further in the direction of, uh, you know, extreme nationalism, extreme oppression than uh, even China, who's probably one of the worst nowadays, but some of these others. And one of the premises of uh, communism is everyone's equal, right? Everyone's got an equal shot. One of the things that communists and leftists in general complain about, not unfairly, is that it's 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 unreasonable that you know you're born to a millionaire, I'm destitute, you're going to have a huge advantage in life over me, right? Like you're going to have better schooling, you're going to have better lawyers, you're going to have you know all this other stuff. And there's something to that. I think a lot of us can wrap our heads around. And communism is supposed to be all right. No one should have any advantages of everybody. Everyone's equal. So in the 70s, you know, the, the question became, uh, it took a while for the great leader Kim Il-sung uh, post-World War II to consolidate his hold on power. He had to one by one wipe out alternate factions to his rule. And things really became tricky for him in the mid 50s because after Stalin died, and Khrushchev succeeded him as head of the USSR, the USSR really were the leaders of, this, of the communist world. Like other countries looked to them and followed suit. And what Khrushchev did in his famous, what was called the secret speech, is he denounced Stalin's personality cult. And he said, this is not what we're about, worshiping one individual. And that leads to all sorts of you know, awful things. It, it, it's, it, you know, maybe you and I could have a debate, although I don't know that you disagree. In a very real sense, you know, you can say Khrushchev was a hero for the cause of liberty, because when you start, even though he was a genocidal murderer as a leader, uh, as a head of Ukraine, when you start closing down the gulags, right, when you start encouraging all of these countries to turn their backs on the worst of Stalinism, that's in a certain sense putting us in the right direction. Then the other argument, of course, is, OK, if you're like 0.5 Hitler, are you a good person? It's like, yeah, you're still 0.5 Hitler. and. This was a challenge for North Korea because North Korea was heavily a personality cult around the great leader Kim Il-sung. And all these other countries started following suit and, and having some sort of decentralized leadership, uh, having uh, the leader not venerated. Uh, you know, Mao was one very big exception as a god among men. So what he did, he systematically wiped out all these other factions because everyone in North Korea th- or everyone, many of the party cadres thought, OK, we're going to do like Russia and we're just going to start liberalizing in a sense and not having this kind of personality cult. And Kim Il-sung said, over your dead body. And they were either purged or killed or, or so on and so forth. So then the question became, OK, you know, wh- what would happen if Kim Il-sung goes away? But you can't ask that question because asking that question in North Korea would mean that you're discussing the death of the leader. And someone did pose that question once a high up official. And I don't remember if he was executed or exiled to the countryside. But immediately he was shut up and shut down. So no one talked about it. Uh, it was kind of like whatever the great leader decides, uh, we're, you know, he will live forever as the king of our people, a hero of our people, whatever. In the mid 70s and the, behind the scenes, you had his brother and his son, Kim Jong-il. They were both um, fighting behind the scenes over who would, in fact, become that successor. And through a long st- series of events, whatever, Kim Jong-il basically got the gig. And in the mid 70s, there was a uh, program to introduce him to the North Korean populace. They never referred to him by name in the papers. They called him the party center. Uh, very odd. 
And at, at late in the late 70s or early 80s, I forget the exact year, it was officially announced that he would be the successor to the great leader Kim Il-sung. And this was hugely controversial in the communist world, the second world, because the idea that this, even in America, you know, or, or many of these countries, like the idea that like the sun is going to take over is just bonkers. And what I learned during my work about North Korea and, my, and you know, going there, which I was very surprised about, all, virtually all, I, mean, I, I want to say virtually, I, I tempted to say all, criticism of North Korea is acknowledged and addressed by them in their literature and propaganda. So they have at length, and I, this is all in, in your reader, explain why it is in fact not only appropriate, but necessary for Kim Jong-il to have succeeded uh, the great leader Kim Il-sung as the leader of North Korea. So the question after a while became, first of all, in 94, when Kim Il-sung died, the famine starts to hit. It started hitting a little before. It was going to be okay. All the all the Western pundits and North Korea laughs about this in their literature, including mentioning Charles Krauthammer by name, are like, the Westerners are crazy. They all said we wouldn't last. I'm still here. You know what you're talking about. Sit down and shut up. You're just desperate for us to fall so you guys can, the U.S. imperialists can invade. Now, when Kim Jong-il close to his end, when he introduced Kim Jong-un, his son, into um, the North Korean populace and to the media, it was very interesting because very quickly everyone was scrambling, who is this kid? It was not known how many wives, and still not known, how many wives Kim Jong-il had, how many children he had. The way to look at it is, think about um, how many, who are Uncle Sam's nieces and nephews? We don't know, right? So a lot of these, these families were kept in isolation even from each other. Kim Jong-il had at least two families and they, one didn't know that the other existed for a long time. So one of the laws that is, there is something called the uh, 10 guiding principles of the monolithic ideological system. These are basically the 10, 10 commandments of the great leader Kim Il-sung, many of which are, you know, if the leader, you will do everything the leader says without hesitation, blah, blah, blah. The 10th commandment says, uh, the revolution shall be continued through the generations until the end or something to that effect. And what it means is only someone who is a direct descendant of the great leader Kim Il-sung can be the leader of Korea. They regard Korea as one country with different regions. And so when Kim Jong-un was de declared as a son, it was like, okay, we have this guy. He killed his elder, elder half-brother, Kim Jong-nam, who had a different mom. I think they'd only met once before in their lives. They were not you know, buddy-buddy growing up or anything like that. And Kim Jong-nam had been passed over. And the reason you take him out is that's great insurance because he would have been a Mike Pence. Because if something happened to Kim Jong-un, you could have put Kim Jong-nam in there in two seconds. Uh, Kim Jong-nam was a, a big liberal. He wanted to denuclearize, environmentalist. This was not uh, sitting well with Kim Jong-il. Kim Jong-un promised to stay the course. Now, without Kim Jong-nam, and the middle brother is, is regarded as a sissy and other euphemisms that we might all fill in the blanks here. Now the question is, if Kim Jong-un goes away, there is no brother, what happens? And that's the whole point, no one knows. Because there's no sort of order of succession after Kim Jong-un, and you sure as heck aren't going to be asking about it, because then you're talking about the death of the leader, and that is really, to say it's heretical, is really an understatement. I noticed in your thread related to this, you were saying that pro forma, North Korea has a constitution, which is where you might look to answer questions like this. Like we know 
at least how, we don't know who the successor will be, but we know how the successor of Donald Trump will be determined. Right. So is there anything in the North Korean constitution that, even if they don't follow it, that would say anything about this? I, I don't even know. I haven't even read the North Korean constitution because a lot of hap- what happened is all these countries, these communist countries have constitutions simply because they, they, at the, they're at the UN, they want to pre- pretend that they preserve human rights. Uh, they're very much mirror the American constitution, you know, freedom of speech, freedom of religion. I know all that stuff's in there. So it might be in there. I, I doubt it. I haven't even looked. It, it, it's such a paper tiger. It's not even funny. There's not even a pretense in North Korea that this constitution is ever referred to. I don't think I've seen it referred to in, in a single one of their writings. And I've read like 60 books on the subject. It exists, but they never talk about it. One of the things I know for a fact that's in the constitution is you're going to have the meet the North Korean Congress is supposed to meet at scheduled intervals. They hadn't met in like 10 years. It was something crazy like that. So there, there's just no pretense whatsoever that this has anything of relevance in uh, North Korean society. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I hear that. Is there any possibility that just the the disruption that's caused by the change from one person to another could possibly be a destabilizing event for North Korea? Yeah, but that's the thing what people need to realize. Destabilizing isn't always what we want because destabilizing can be, here's the thing that I tweeted this out and, and uh, this is something that scared me very much. The party cadres and the, the, the military leaders are there as a function of the leader. They're not there because of their um, skill. They're not there because they're popular with the voters or anything, you know, their resume. They are specifically there because of their loyalty. That is the A, first, second, and last job uh, uh, qualification that they have. So uh, the, at the same time, North Korea, as I will point out incessantly until this goes away in a positive direction, has concentration camps, right? Yeah, you can still see them on Google Earth. Uh, I think it's something like 200,000 people are in them, just atrocity and abomination. If North Korea gets destabilized, there is every chance, and if not chance, certainly a, a probability that these people at the top will be tried for crimes against humanity. And they know this extremely well. So their lives are on the line. So if things start getting destabilized, that it could be an excuse for, okay, we're going to liberalize. We're going to turn our backs on you know these 70 years of uh, uh, depravity, or it could be our asses are on the line. We are going to lock this country down even to an even further extent to make sure that things don't get out of hand. Because when the, when it's kind of like riding the tiger, right? You don't want to let go because as soon as you let go, you're done. So they have an enormous incentive to have draconian control. Um, and, and people say, Oh, everyone, everyone on Twitter, I, I spent too much time on Twitter, Tom, I'm realizing. But it's amazing how many people are binary thinkers where they think it's either like like Galt's Gulch or it's Stalin. There's degrees. And people are like, oh, it's a huge dictatorship. They can't clamp down anymore. They can. I assure you they can clamp down anymore. They can very easily, off the top of my head, find someone in every town, pretend this person uh, was trying to foment um, uh, disorder and shoot him and make an example of him. In fact, they would have someone in that town, where the official, and be like, your job, Beria, who was Stalin's torturer and right-hand man, had that quote, find me the man and I'll find you the crime. It'd be very easy for the North Korean government to say, find me the person in your town who is the troublemaker, who is most likely to cause you know, some kind of civil unrest. And they'll find him and they'll, they'll force him to confess, or they won't have to. 
or the torturous family or kill his family and they'll kill him in front of everybody. And then everyone's going to be like, all right, now go to your house and you stay there. So uh, things get, and the people in the camps are told constantly that if the U.S. imperialists invade, we are going to kill you all and burn these camps down. And you can't blame them in a sense because they want to, you know, they don't want that evidence. So it's uh, when people talk, oh, I hope he dies. I have no love for Kim Jong-un, I assure you. But uh, what we need to hope for is the peaceful liberation of North Korea. And if his going away or death is a means to that end, that's good. And if his going away or death uh, takes us away from that direction, that's very, very bad. What exactly are we to conclude about what has leaked out about Kim Jong-un right now? Supposedly, yes. there's something about his health and there was some yeah, speculation yeah. So he died. Park, What's that all about? Not- yeah, Yanmi Park, who she's, I trust her. She's a, she escaped from North Korea. She's a very famous refugee. Uh, she's given a lot of talks around the world about this. Um, she just had a tweet yesterday where she goes, he's in hiding because of coronavirus. And what I want to point out to people is, yes, he's obese. You know, he, I think he's like 36. When's the last time you heard of a 36-year-old billionaire dying on the operating table with access to literally the best medical care in the world? Uh, they have a hospital system dedicated exclusive, exclusively to prolonging the longe- longevity of the leaders. There was some quote about how the doctors operating, their hands were shaking. Tom, I would have no, I would, I wouldn't be surprised if they had to give him heart surgery, which we don't even have confirmation of that. If they had to give him heart surgery, that they would experiment on a healthy person first to make sure they could get the operation done correctly. That is how human life is valued in North Korea in relation to the leader. Plus, these doctors are uh, off, and this happened in the Soviet Union. If you find a Russian doctor in America or a dentist, you run to them because they know how to get the job done with crappy equipment. But these guys won't have the crappy equipment. They'll have the state-of-the-art best equipment. So that is something that, you know, you should have that with a grain of salt. And the claim that, oh, it's obviously going to be the sister. Can you imagine in America, a 30-year-old woman becoming president? This is America, right? like AOC or Ivanka Trump just tomorrow becoming president, we wouldn't be able to wrap our heads around it. North Korea is far more patriarchal uh, than the United States. It's also very um, an ageist society where you respect your elders. So it is very odd that someone as young as Kim Jong-un, though they didn't have a choice, should be the leader. But someone even younger and female, look, if they are freaking out and and you know poop hits the fan, it could be any port in a storm, sure. But this claim that, oh, it's obviously going to be her, it is false. It's not obviously going to be her. I want to shift gears and ask you something. Oh, one more thing. Yeah. One more thing. I got to say one more thing because this is very, very important. So um, all the people on um, uh, Facebook who think they're clever and talk about, oh, they're going to have a woman leader first, ha ha. Or then you have the people like, oh, she's being condemned even though she hasn't done anything. Um, she's the head of the propaganda and agitation department. So it is her job to train Uh, the North Korean population, including the children, from a very, very young age to be willing to die uh, for the sake of the leader. They call it infusing them with the spirit of the bullet and bomb. So you have someone whose job it is to brainwash kids uh, and for their entire lives. So to say that she's, you know, some kind of um, basically his sidekick or some kind of, you know, family secretary is uh, really uh, far too glib uh, for my tastes. Can you update us on the, let's say, the the state of the relationship between the U.S. and North Korea, which looked so good at one point, and then it seemed like it started to get murkier? 
Yeah, I, I had a contact who was working this beat and I was talking to them and uh, anarchist me who was having the question of like, is it ethical for me to work with the government vis-a-vis North Korea before deciding yes? I think I think Murray Rothbard would give and Lysander Spooner and all the other forefathers of anarchism would would give me the uh, the blessing uh, as long as maybe I'm not paid with tax money. And I talked to this person not that long ago, and they go, "Yeah, basically the State Department now has this has is acting as if North Korea doesn't exist." So they didn't know what to do, and it's kind of fallen by the wayside, and that is makes me very sad. Um, because there was some progress being made, at the very least, about putting their uh, human rights atrocities on the world stage. And also pr- providing a sunlight for the people who escaped and, and survived and, and making them beacons of hope uh, um, for those left behind. Ah, so that's what really went on. They, they just more or less uh, washed their hands and moved on to something else? Yeah, you know how bureaucracies work. Yeah, they're like, okay, we can't crack this nut. Um, let's just pretend it never happened yet. It, it did a number on me to hear this uh, from the horse's mouth. Yeah. I could be wrong. The, the source could be wrong. I don't think they are. I want to ask you something completely unrelated because we're living in such unusual times. And you and I did an episode maybe half a year ago now or four months, something on mental health and how you yeah. and I deal with challenges. You're in the epicenter of the coronavirus outbreak in the U.S., so I'd like to know, and you're a very, I, I, I don't know, you know, introvert, extrovert, but you're, you're somebody who likes to physically go out and, and be with friends and do various things. What are you doing to stay mentally okay right now? I'm actually an extreme introvert, and I'm like, I'm home 23 hours a day. I'm one hour away from being a shut-in. Uh, I'm actually, I, I can't believe I said actually three times. I'm like that meme. Um, I am in a very good place. It was a tough transition. What I am realizing, and I think you and I talked about this to some extent, and me and uh, Dave Smith, and for those who don't know, he's a very failed comedian. Um, there are a lot of people in our respective audiences who are, uh, as maybe you and I are, and Dave to some extent, are a little bit socially awkward, a little bit socially isolated. And it is incumbent on us to kind of provide them with some sense of uh, community. So I've been doing a lot more content. I've been started doing, um, I just did a live stream over the weekend where we all sat down and watched Ayn Rand and Donahue together. Uh, I'm going to be doing some live streams where I figured, thanks to me being the boomer, uh, I figured out how to have a live stream with two people so people can chat with both of us at the same time. I'm going to be bringing in uh, some friends of mine. I'm sure you'll be one of them um, at some point. And I think that I think when um, you are a fan of a person or just follow their content, if they are giving you some semblance of normalcy or normality, whichever you prefer, and are regularly producing things that you can consume, it gives people a sense of stability and it gives them a sense of distraction. And it works for me because it keeps me busy. And it challenges me to produce more stuff. I'm sure most people would think most of it's garbage. That's okay, uh, as long as some don't. And that's been kind of my um, uh, big motivation. I, I had a fan named Phoebe. God bless you. Uh, she let me into her house. She's in Florida. She had the, like a, a key under, you know, like one of those combo locks. And she had some weights in her house. So that is, if I didn't have those, I would be losing my mind because that's something I do for mental health exercise. But other than that, and, and I have sashimi uh, near my house. There's a Japanese supermarket. So 
other than that, I am set and uh, spending a lot more time online. And um, I'm actually really, I keep saying actually, maybe that means I'm lying and kidding myself, but I'm doing okay. I'm doing better than okay. I'm, I'm having fun. All right. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I really am glad to hear that. I l- let me just say a little something. You were talking about creating more content. I've been much more reliable with my newsletter because sometimes I, I mean, I, I shoot for five days a week, and sometimes even on weekends. And there have been times when I just don't feel like I have anything to say on a particular day, and I don't want to mail, I don't email just for the sake of it. If I don't have anything to say, I'm not going to say anything. But geez, how do you not have something to say like every day at, at this point? Yeah. And what's been interesting is that. If you have, let's say, a best-selling book, most people have no idea what that means. Does that mean 10 million copies? Does it mean 50,000 right. copies? Does it mean you're a millionaire? Like, they don't know the ins and outs. Right. But likewise, with, with email marketing, nobody knows what the metrics are. So let me just tell you. I, I know marketers who, when 6% of recipients open their emails, they say, wow, I'm doing something right. I mean, it's that bad. Yeah. Uh, other areas, other industries, like 10 to 15%, if you're really lucky, uh, because, because number one, some of the emails wind up in the promotions tab. People sure. don't even see them or spam, whatever. And then some people just, you know, they don't have time. They get a million emails. They don't open them. But I've been getting open rates in excess of 42%, which is wow. unheard of. I mean, absolutely unheard of because people, I mean, I can't speculate on why, but I think they're, they're desperate to get information from somebody that I think they believe by now they can trust. Because yeah, they're not yeah. sure which person to listen to right now. I, yeah. I was looking at the stats the other day. I could not believe it. People would kill to get open rates like that. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to make one point. This is something that happens on, on Twitter with the Cretans, and it's really funny. Uh, you were talking about how people don't know how many books you have to sell to get a bestseller. Like sometimes they'll come at me and they'll be like, oh, your book is only ranked 30,000th on Amazon. You're such a loser. And I sit there and I'm saying, first of all, I have a book. So I can't be that much of a loser. Second of all, do you have any idea what this number means? Yeah, like, you know how many books there are on this thing? Yeah, but <laughs> but it's also like, this isn't the billboard charts. <laughs> like, you know, like the, this week's single coming in at 31,000. And it's just funny to see how uh, you were just talking about, yeah, no one knows how many books you have to sell to get a bestseller because the bestseller list for the New York Times is not in- entirely a function of sales either. Oh, right. It's a, it's a very obscure metric that they use. The other bestseller lists are much more straightforward. Number of copies sold. The New York Times has this kind of um, proprietary method that they won't disclose. Yeah. Uh, The other thing I want to say for anybody who might have missed it, a few weeks ago, you and Dave Smith and Angela McArdle and Michael Bolden and I did a live event where we played Quiplash in front of a live audience. And Why didn't you tell people how many people everyone won? Why didn't you put that in your tweet, Tom? Oh, (laughs) (laughs) Because, okay, well, just to make sure everybody understands, we played multiple rounds of the same game or multiple games. And uh, I did win one of these games. We'll just say Michael won more games than I did. Um, Is that what we're going to say? How about Michael won more games than everyone else put together? Okay. And how about let's also say the big loser of the night, however, was Dave Smith, who's supposed to do this for a living. (laughs) Yeah, very failed comedian. Very failed comedian. But but we did, and what was great about it, we had, almost 500 people uh, on there yeah. live watching with us. And hundreds of them did decide to play along with us on their phones so they could vote on who had the funniest answer without knowing the identities of the authors of these answers to these funny questions. And it was a great community-building experience. Now, doing it again, I can I was still trying to, you know, kind of figure it all out and make sure everything was working. So I couldn't really keep an eye on the chat. I couldn't interact with people very well. I would fix that for next time. 
And second, well, let's talk about the chat because that was, that was we had a little argument. It was pretty funny. Oh, all right, yeah. Hold on, just one second before I forget this thought. If we were to do sure. it again, I would have a dedicated host so that, for example, while you and I and the other players are coming up with our answers, it's not just dead time. He can be bantering with the with the folks. But yeah, in the chat, well, well, actually, well, let me turn it over to you. I've been talking too much. Uh, it was just very funny because I'm very big on, especially in these times. I, I stress this on social media constantly. Do not engage with uh, nasty people. I don't mean people who are uh, disagreeing with you. I mean people who are overly personal, people who feel comfortable being aggressive and snide. Don't do it. It's not worth it. And it's important. No one's, you have to tell people how you want to be treated. And you have, if you can't demand respect, you're not going to get it. And I have spent enough time in internet circles that I wrote about a lot in the new right to know that if you got five of these um, or you know at least three uh, personality types on the internet, that very quickly this goes south unless the comments are moderated. And you couldn't figure out how to do it. And you're like, well, you know, let's basically let's take a laissez-faire approach. And I'm like, Haha, no, I said, I'm not going on until we figure this out so I can ban people because I knew it could get very ugly very quickly. And you just told me you're being, what was it? You're being unreasonable. And what was the other one? It was some other word. Oh, I was probably being, I was probably being the very kind of person you would want to ban under these circumstances. No, you weren't because you're, you're being respectful. You're just disagreeing, right? You weren't being, you were just being, you're being unreasonable and something else. And I just said, that's. But when you explained to me the reason for it, then I immediately realized, yeah, we have to do this. Yeah, I, I was I was being a diva, but I was comfortable being a diva. Uh, and you're like, fine, you just be the host. And I did have to boot a couple of people, or I didn't have to, I chose to. And it was very funny because they were just like, they thought they could go in that chat room and flap their gums. And I'm like, no, that's not how this works. This is a, a group of people dedicated to you know private property and boundaries. Right, right, right. Well, we ended up raising, I uh, threw in some money of my own to round it up. To six grand. I mean, just playing a game. Six grand for uh, City Meals on Wheels in New York City, which brings uh, meals to homebound elderly people. I mean, what more appropriate cause could we have had? So I'm thinking of of doing that again. Uh, We'll do, but I would like eventually, I want to experiment with different games, but all of them will be games that can be uh, joined in by the audience. So we're all doing it together. And as I said, I have a dedicated host. So that takes that off us. We can concentrate on the game and I can be more active in the chat because I'm not trying to hold the whole thing together. I, it, it was it was very worthwhile. I mean, we, we had to get some kinks out of the way, but for a first time thing, um, the feedback was tremendous. I asked people in my private group, do you want to do this again? And overwhelmingly they said, yes. So we'll try and, we'll try and do that. I mean, that's the that is the kind of thing that you were saying that at a time like this, Let's see what we can do, you know, with our folks to, you know, hold things together and make this as, you know, tolerable as possible. Yeah, I've been doing crossover episodes with Dave on our respective shows. Uh, tomorrow I have, um, or I, on this week I have Dave Rubin instead of Dave Smith, but it, uh, it'll be back to Dave uh, Smith, I think, next week. So, I, and also, this is the other thing. Uh, if you go to, Ma- I have my own, uh, Ruben launched a social media network. We have one called, at malice.locals.com, which you can see in the show notes page. And what's brilliant about this is it's free to join, but you have to be a supporter. It's just five bucks a month uh, to contribute and comment. So that little velvet rope goes a long way and there's no drama and everyone is my kind of people. And it's really, really fun. I think we've got like over close to 3000 in there already, or at least over, uh, over 200 excuse me, 2000. So I, that has been really a great, um, sort of oasis in this, um, world. 
Wow, that's nice too. Yeah, so I will link to that. The, the show notes page, by the way, is tomwoods.com slash 1640. And there I'll link to a bunch of malice stuff. Uh, Michael's books, the uh, the program You're Welcome, which is the main flagship Michael Malice program, uh, the YouTube channel, a bunch of stuff, and the Patreon, which I is, well, do you still have Patreon? No, I don't use it. It's malice.locals.com. So that is exclusively, okay. Yeah. Okay, so it's exclusively malice.locals, as in local versus far away, malice.locals.com. Okay, that's where you want to go these days. Okay, so I, yeah. I didn't realize that and that There's was... a lot of other people there. Okay, all right. So so folks, go do that because Michael's producing a lot of great stuff and you should want to be part of that. All right, well, thank you for this, Michael. And uh, all I can say is I hope our paths cross sooner than we expect. What was your favorite part of this interview? <laughs> um, well, that's, a good, that's a good question. Actually, I'll tell you, my you favorite part... Welcome. I'll tell you what my favorite part was. <laughs> It was, it was you, you know, you won't get to ask me this three times or anything, but, but, (laughs) but my favorite part was, was hearing from you that you're doing okay because I was genuinely concerned about that. So that makes me feel better. I mean, I want North Korea to prosper also, but I have more direct connection to you and I'm glad that you're doing okay because this is a rough time. Yeah. All right. Thanks again, Michael. Thank you. All right, folks, if you like and appreciate what the old man is doing here, make sure and become a supporting listener. The goodies you get are just out of this world. Not to mention, you get a haven of sanity where you're allowed to speak your mind without people automatically assuming you want to murder people's grandmothers. You know, you think that's not a big deal, but the more you live in this crazy society, the bigger a deal it becomes. So go join me in that wonderful haven over at supportinglisteners.com, and I'll see you tomorrow. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit TomWoods.com to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll see you next time. Like the sound of The Tom Woods Show? My audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com.